Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Anchor Church podcast. It is our desire at the Anchor to provide a place for you to know God, find freedom, discover your God-given purpose, and ultimately make a difference in the world around you. Each week, the Anchor podcast features Sunday sermons. You can follow along in this podcast episode and read the sermon notes on our website by visiting theanchor.me. Now, let's get into the Word. Amen. Y'all doing all right? Man, I hope everybody's having a, a, a good week or is doing good. I guess it's the start of the week, so maybe we'll get back to you, I guess, right? Moment. All right, anyways, sorry, we'll move on. Listen, hey, before we jump into today's message, I want to take a moment to just uh, tell everybody thank you that if you... Uh, you know, served in any way last week, or if you, uh, you know, dove in with us and, and started praying for the services, or you invited someone, or made somebody feel welcome, literally whatever you did as far as uh, any capacity that you contributed, we just want to say thank you. Uh, I don't know about you, but if you were here last week, I had fun. It was awesome to see what Jesus did. Amen? Yeah. Amen. Well, listen, let me say this. Um, you know, a- as a pastor, there's times where uh, you know uh, what you're going to say and you know why you're going to say it. And then there's other times that you know what you're going to say, but you don't know why you're going to say it. And today is definitely the second. So uh, that I know what I want to say. Uh, I feel like God spoke to me a few things, but I don't really know why. And so uh, I would just simply encourage you this. Um, I've been walking with him long enough to know when he says, hey, do this, uh, there's a reason. And he doesn't have to explain it to me, uh, but there's typically going to be somebody sitting in the room uh, that God's going to be like, hey, you need to hear this. And so what I want to do today is I actually want to share, uh, to start off, I want to share a testimony with you. And I'm going to go ahead and warn you, it's pretty long, okay? And then after that, I want to share uh, one parable with you. And, uh, and it's a parable that I'm sure that most people in this room have heard uh, probably you've lost count how many times that you've heard it or either read it. And, and I would just simply ask you this, that if, uh, you know, wherever you land on that spectrum, if you've heard it a thousand times, then, then please tune in like it's your first time and, and let's let Jesus talk to us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray one more time and we'll get rolling. Father, thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for every person that's here. Father, I believe that you have something that you want to say to us. And Lord, we simply just choose to tune our hearts in. Lord, we choose to uh, lean into you today. And Father, we simply ask that our eyes and our ears and our hearts would be open to receive from heaven today. So Lord, whatever you want to say to us, uh, Lord, there's a yes in our heart. There's obedience in our heart that we're willing to go and do whatever you've asked us to do. And so Lord, thank you for doing only what you can do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, listen, last week, uh, Pastor Tommy's parents were in town, and, uh, and while they were here, they gave me this uh, wonderful book. Uh, it's called A Life of Divine Encounters, and it's about the life story of a, basically a godly couple named Ruth and Fred Waugh, and uh, really, it's, it's just uh, behind the scenes, if you will. It just kind of shows their role that they have played in the kingdom for over the past 50 years, and while there's Uh, definitely a lot of amazing things in this book. Uh, I want to only focus on one piece today, and that's this. I want to focus on Fred's salvation. And uh, to do so, I just want to start off pretty much when he was a little fella. Uh, You know, when Fred was a kid, he was introduced to Christianity. And uh, but but what happened was is because his parents were uh, I would say strict in some way. Uh, you know, he kind of misinterpreted uh, their love and their desire to protect him from things of this world. And he simply said, man, that's a bunch of rules and that's a bunch of legalism. So uh, fast forward, as soon as Fred got a chance, and he dropped out of high school. I think he was about 16 years old. And he, and he left home and he ran as far away as from religion as he could. 
but after several years of doing his best to uh, avoid anything pertaining to God, Fred decided to slide into the back row of a church one Sunday morning in Southern California. And as he sat there on the back row, it just so happened that he found himself sitting beside a, a pretty young lady named Ruth. And the story goes on, the two quickly fell in love and they got married. But watch this, this is where, it's, where it kind of turned. In Ruth's mind, she thought she was marrying a man of God. However, uh, it didn't take too long for her to realize that Fred was not the man that she thought she married. And, and it wasn't that he was a bad guy or anything, he just didn't love God. Now, if you would have asked Fred, he would have said, you know, if he was a Christian, Fred would have said, absolutely, I, I'm a Christian. Because to him, being Christian was being, uh, you know, being an, like an, being American, something you were born into, right? So if you're American, you're a Christian, right? But the reality with, was is that God uh, wasn't even on his radar. And uh, Fred was more consumed with his business, making money, and ultimately this idea of making a name for himself. And, and the truth is, is he was very successful in all three now, to quote Ruth here, kind of early on their marriage, she said this. She said, very gradually and grievously, I had to accept that faith in God wasn't something we had in common. I had to let Fred be Fred. I mean, if God doesn't force us into anything, how could I force Fred? Love doesn't work that way, right? And so what did she do? She prayed, not just for a year, not for two years, three years, five years, six years, 10 years, 15 years, and we hit the point where 20 years that she had been praying for her husband to be born again, to be saved. And uh, by the time we hit this part of the story, she's barely hanging on to hope. I mean, she's struggling to believe if God was even hearing her prayers or not. I don't know if you've ever been there or not. But it was at that time that their teenage daughter was invited to attend uh, a conference in Oklahoma. So she went from California to Oklahoma to this conference. And while she was in this conference, the Holy Spirit fell in the joint. And, and while the Holy Spirit was moving among all these young people, uh, someone began to prophesy to, her, to this young lady, her name is Linda, and said that her daddy would become a Christian within one year. So... She came home all pumped, all excited, and when Ruth heard what happened, uh, you know, she just thought, that's too good to be true. I've been praying for 20 years because, as she said, she says, 20 years without any sign of hope has a way of exhausting the heart. So several months went by, nothing changed. Fred was just being Fred. And then one day a couple from Ruth's church uh, actually asked her and Fred to join them on a three-month trip around the world with the Full Gospel Businessmen's Fellowship. I don't know if you've ever heard that ministry, but uh, powerful in this heyday. But anyways, to Ruth's surprise, uh, even though Fred wasn't excited about being around, around a bunch of fanatical Christians for three months, he agreed to go. So off they went. They went to Hawaii, they went to Tokyo, they went to Taiwan, Hong Kong, Philippines, Indonesia, and Singapore. And when they hit Singapore, that's kind of when Fred hit his limit. Like he, he kind of had enough. Everything that he had seen up to this point when it came to, uh, you know, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, and Christianity, all of that had, you know, basically all it did, everything he saw just simply re reinforced his disdain for God. Because in his mind, all he could see was a bunch of people who were buying into religious superstitions and traditions, and he was frustrated to no end. In fact, he got so frustrated one night, him and Ruth had this massive blowout fight, and, and he was so angry, he said, you know, I'm going to go down to the bar, and I'm going to get something to drink, and I don't care what any of these Christians think, right? And, and while he was going down there, he decided, you know what, I'm, I'm going home tomorrow. Like, forget this. I'm flying back to America tomorrow. Man, Ruth can stay on this trip if she wants to. Uh, but as he was on his way to the bar, there was another guy that was on the trip with him. It was a guy he didn't even like. Uh, convinced him to stay. And he said, hey man, just stay, 
one more, one more, uh, you know, basically not one more city after this one. Let's let's go. Let's explore the town, and it convinced him to stay. And so they spent one more night in Singapore. Then they went to Bangkok the next day because that was the next city on the itinerary. Then they went to South Asia. Then they went to the Middle East, and then they went to North Africa. These people clearly have more money than I got. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> and, and then they came to Israel. Okay. And as, as a group, right, because obviously they would have these church services everywhere they went, but they would also tour the area they were in. And so as a group, they began to tour, uh, tour Jerusalem and all the historic sites that pertain to the life and the death and the burial of Jesus. And Fred's mind as he was there in one way, I man, it was like, in one way, there was like, uh, he was just awestruck because he was seeing all these places of these stories that he read about and heard about as a kid. But at the same time, in the middle of being awestruck, there was just like loads of skepticism. Like, like he was really, really if I could just say it, the, the spiritual battle was on. Like it was happening, like his, his mind and his heart were raging war with one another. And so anyways, like a couple of days in, they, they actually visited this church called the Church of All Nations. And it's this beautiful place in the Mount of Olives, right outside the Garden of Gethsemane. And uh, so anyways, as they were, as they were touring, touring this building, someone else from another full gospel businessmen's group had the idea of leading an impromptu worship service. And since Fred wasn't much of a singer, he decided to do what I like to do a lot of times. He, he started people watching, right? And, and, and that's when things begin to shift in the story for Fred because as he watched, Fred noticed a man from the other group worshiping that he, he wasn't showy or displaying any kind of emotionalism. Rather, his, his worship looked sincere and what Fred called was heartfelt, and this guy was totally immersed in the moment. And as this guy was totally immersed in the moment, that Fred literally looked at him. He just said, man, that's what it looks like to be free. And because on his face, it was just this perfect expression of peace and joy. And, and the more Fred watched this guy, the more he was mesmerized. So much so that he found himself envious of this man. And he wanted to experience what that man was receiving. So... Later on that day, they visited the garden tomb, and that's where Jesus was buried and ultimately resurrected. Okay? And, and even though Fred was surrounded by beauty, his mind was still reeling because he kept thinking back to that guy that he saw worshiping, that guy he was so envious of. Right? And he started thinking, man, what's happening to me? Like, just yesterday, I was convinced that I hated religion and religion wasn't for me, but, but now it seemed like his heart and his mind began to take this unexpected turn. And so that's when, at that moment, when he began to think, well, maybe something's to this. That, that, that's when those familiar thoughts of doubt began to rush back in. And what they were doing is they were trying to reclaim dominance again in his life. And so in Fred's words, this is what he said. And I'll read it, and it's kind of lengthy. But he said this. It says that he wondered, had my emotions gotten the better of me? Had my time in Jerusalem finally hoodwinked me? Good word. Surely I shouldn't have to justify what I already, already know to be true of myself, why I lived the way I did, how I rationalized everything, why I didn't go to church, why I didn't pray or read the Bible. But here I was doing just that. Did I really want to get back to all that legalism? Did I really want to forfeit my freedom? I couldn't become a Christian, a real Christian. I looked down on Christians. I pitied them. They were slaves to their rituals and traditions. Religion was their crutch. As for me, I had done quite well for myself without religion. I was a self-made man. I didn't need God to get my act straight. I didn't need him in order to be a decent human being or to be successful. I had accomplished all of that on my own. But suddenly, as he was having this inner dialogue, another voice interrupted him. 
And here's what the voice said. You're just as bad as they are. As who, Fred asked. Then he heard, you're judging all these people for blindly following tradition, but you've been worshiping your own set of rules. You believe that if you can't see it, then it's not real. Or if it can't be proven, then it's false. But you're missing the whole point. It's not about knowing the facts. It's about finding me. To this, Fred replied, and who are you? Don't you love it? I am the truth you've been looking for, but you keep rejecting me because you see me as no more than a bunch of rules and rituals. That's not what following me is all about. Following me is just as natural and just as beautiful as this garden. As these flowers and these trees, they have sprouted from the ground as the air you breathe. But you were right about one thing. Being a Christian isn't about following tradition for tradition's sake, whether that be your own made-up made traditions or a tradition thousand years old or of a tradition a thousand years old. To this, Fred asks, what is it about then? Like, what's all this Christianity stuff about? He said, it's about receiving or about accepting what I've done for you. It's about believing that I died for you, that I love you. Then Fred asked, but what about all the stuff in my life that you don't like? My smoking, my drinking. Don't these things keep me from getting to heaven? Listen to what Jesus told him. He said, I am the true heaven. Am I not with you now, speaking right into your heart? Am I not telling you to do anything other than to believe in me and to believe what I did for you on the cross? To accept eternal life by having a relationship with me. It is only your unbelief that keeps you from knowing me. If you humble yourself, I can save you. Then the joy and the peace and the love that you saw in that man that you envied will be yours too. For I am these things. But you must let me in. I will take care of the rest. I can wash you clean. I can make your heart into a garden springing up and turn to where death and disease have no place. In total amazement, obviously Fred's world's getting rocked in this moment. Uh, he just simply prayed this simple prayer. He said, God, if what I'm feeling in my heart is right and if it's real, then I want to make it real in my life. Then I want you to make it real in my life. Real like that man worshiping you and the church knew it was real. And suddenly, as soon as Fred prayed that prayer, the presence of God literally filled his body. His eyes were open, That's, uh, and he began to see that really that being a Christian wasn't about believing in a God who loved you only if you obeyed all his commands. Rather, it was about a personal relationship or being in a personal relationship with him, right? Being in a personal relationship with a God who loved him, loved him so much down the cross for him. And, uh, you know, it's this, that, that Fred literally sat back, and he was like, man, he began to understand that the only thing God was asking him to do was just to get to know his son, Jesus, to walk with him in his garden, to have an intimate relationship with him. Now, listen, I don't know about you, but when I read that, I think it's so amazing how somebody can go years and years and years and years in this moment, Jesus just goes, bam, right? And they're born again, right? And, and so uh, if that wasn't cool enough, right? Like, what an awesome story, right? What incredible things Jesus said to him. But what's so neat is, it's fast forward basically a few days when Ruth finally realized, man, Fred's born again. What, what, what happened was that she realized that the day that all of this happened just so happened to be the day, uh, you know, a year ago to the day of when, his, when their daughter was prophesied over that your daddy's going to get saved. Man, God's cool. Right? He's cool. Now, what's awesome is here's these two people from that point on. You know, basically, God rocked that man's world, and pretty much when they went back home to California, uh, man, everybody knew him started getting saved because the change that was in him. And basically, these two nameless faces that went just quietly about their lives, yet through obedience to God, when you read this book, you'd find out, man, that these guys have literally changed the world. They have borne great fruit for the kingdom. Amen?
All right, so once again, I have no clue why I'm telling you that. We'll let her lay. All right? Now, listen, I don't know what all comes to your mind when you hear that story, but uh, when I read it, my mind uh, basically, when I read that, I not only think about basically Fred and Ruth's story but, and all the other people that are in it, but I kept finding myself doing this. I kept finding myself as I was reading this book thinking about how each of our journeys to Jesus, meaning our personal salvation stories, are as different as we are from one another. right? And I kept thinking about how each of our journeys in Jesus, meaning our personal growth and our personal transformation, have been equally as different as our salvation stories. Like, quite literally, like, no two of our stories are the exact same. In fact, you know, we could easily sit back, we could pass the mic around the room and ask people about once they got saved, what happened in their life, how they got saved, after how God speaks to them, how God moves. Like, we'd be here for hours, and we'd find that no two people are the exact same. Like, God's pretty cool like that. But the thing that is the same, we've all met the same God. We have the same dad who loves us and forgave us and all that really cool stuff, right? Amen. I'll preach to myself today. Amen. All right. So listen, now an attempt to explain why, uh, you know, why I think all that happens. I want to turn and look at a very familiar chapter in the Bible. And uh, let me start by saying this, that if you've ever read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right, then you know uh, it wasn't uncommon for Jesus to teach on the subject of the kingdom of God. Right Now, one of the ways that Jesus went about doing this is he always used parables, right? Now, if, if by chance you're sitting here today, and it's not a word that we often use, if you don't know what a parable is, a parable is simply defined as this, as a short, simple story that illustrates a spiritual truth. Pretty simple. Right? In other words, what would happen was is Jesus would watch everyday life, and he would pick things from everyday life that, that the people that he was around, and he would begin to craft a story about their everyday lives, right, to teach them some spiritual principle, and, and obviously he did this because he was, A, a master teacher, but secondly, is because uh, he just wanted to meet people where they're at. He's still doing that today. Amen? So, listen, with that definition in mind, I want to turn our attention to what uh, many consider to be the first parable that Jesus ever taught. And I'm going to ask you to lean in. I'm going to ask you to get hungry today, okay? A lot of this you've already heard, but I got a suspicion that Jesus got something good in store for you. Here we go. It's a treat, okay? So, all right. So, listen, this... This story, this parable is commonly referred to as the parable of the sower because it's all about a farmer who went out to sow a seed in the field. Now, this parable is uh, found in all the synoptic gospels. What's synoptic gospels? It simply means similar, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And uh, so what I want to do is I want to actually at the beginning, I want to focus on the book of Matthew. We'll read it out of there, and then we're going to revisit it, and we're going to bounce back and forth to Matthew, Mark, and Luke so we can understand it better. So if you're with me, say, oh, yeah. All right, so let's pick it up in Matthew 13, verse 1, this Amplified Bible. It says, That same day Jesus went out of the house and was sitting beside the Sea of Galilee, but such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat there positioning himself as a teacher while the whole crowd stood on the shore. I want to read that. The same day Jesus went out of the house and was sitting beside the sea, all these people gathered. Let's pause there for a moment. Listen, for the sake of context, while uh, to me at least, I think it's super, super strange that these people were just kind of sitting outside the house, staring at the door, like waiting for Jesus to walk out of the door. Like, I don't know about you, but you go to jail like that today, right? So but anyway, so here's all these folks, they're like stalking Jesus. And uh, anyway, so that's weird to me, but, but believe it or not, in this time period, it was actually pretty normal. Thank God times have changed. But anyways, so, um, 
So anyways, these people would actually, in this time, they would follow well-known rabbis, well-known teachers, and hope that they could just learn or glean a bit of wisdom as they kind of went from here to there. So they would wait for their moments, they would see them, and they would start following them. Well, on this particular day, as Jesus rolled out of the house, uh, he was walking along the seashore, and uh, so many people actually gathered around him, he had to get up in a boat, and to kind of almost make, at least in my head, like a makeshift stage, if you will. Now, it's at this point where... Uh, most theologians assume that when Jesus sat down, once again, taking the position of a teacher, which was like in the culture, that when he sat down and he lifted up his head to look at the people that he saw on the hillside, basically a farmer casting seed or scattering seed, right? And so what he did, what he did is he took the opportunity to take a daily part of their lives, which was farming, to teach them a spiritual principle about God's kingdom. And here's where we read it in verse 3. It says, he told them many things in parables, saying, listen carefully. A sower went out to sow seed in his field, and as he sowed, some seed fell beside the road between the fields. It says, and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And at once they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and thorns came up and choked them out. Other seeds fell on good soil and yielded grain, some a hundred times as much as was sown, some sixty times as much, and some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear and heed, or let him hear and obey my words. So listen, as we can see, Jesus said that as his farmer went out to scatter his seed, seeds fell in different places, right? On the path, some fell on the rocky ground, some on the mug of thorns, and then last but not least, some fell on some really good soil. And then, in good measure, Jesus kind of liked to drive his point home. He just simply says this. He who has ears to hear, let him hear and heed, or let him hear and obey my words. Now, can you imagine, listen, like hearing that, and then Jesus says that last moment. And in my, in my mind, like he makes that last statement, hear this, obey this. And I just kind of see everybody like scratching their head, like what in the heck did he just say? Right now, listen, on one hand, there's no doubt that those are sitting there, uh, you know, understood the practical side of Jesus' peril. In other words, they lived in an agricultural society, so they would have clearly understood what would happen when the seed landed on those different types of soil. But on the other hand, there's no doubt that the overall point that Jesus was really trying to make, spiritually speaking, of how these seeds and how these soils pertain to his kingdom, well, that clearly went right over their head. Right, And we know this is true because the Bible tells us that pretty much if you can get the picture, here's this massive crowd, and, and you got the 12 disciples sitting there, and they're like almost antsy, like, man, could y'all people please leave? Like, you know, what do we say around here? You don't have to go home, but you got to get out of here. Like, they're having that moment, right? Like, would you please leave? And the reason they want everybody to leave is because they didn't want to... Uh, they, they didn't want to look silly, I guess, because by the time they left, it was just them and Jesus. They finally asked this question, which shows that they didn't get it. In Luke 8, 9, it says this. What? And I'm going to add, what in the world does this parable mean? Like, Jesus, you got to tell us. Like, we hear you, but what in the world are you talking about? Now, this question sparked the following explanation. I don't know about you, but I'm glad this explanation was given because I wouldn't have understood it either. So it says this in Mark 4, 13 through 14. It says, he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? He says in verse 14, the sower sows the word. Oh man, that's key. Now who's the sower? Jesus is obviously referring to himself in that moment, but he's also referring as far as in, in, in basically the time that would come to every person that would ever proclaim the word of God. 
right? And what is the word here? The word is obviously, yes, it's the Bible, right? It's the word of God, the gospel, salvation message, however you want to say it. He's talking about the book, right? The Bible. Now, from this point, Jesus shifts gears. He begins to explain what each type of soil, right, or what type of ground, what it actually represents. And to do this, let's look at, uh, follow it up here in Luke's gospel in Luke chapter 8. It says this. It says, those by the wayside or path. Can somebody say path? Those by the path are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word of their hearts. Here's the key. Least they should believe and be saved. All right, so the first area that Jesus pointed out was the path, or we'll say that the seed that fell, as it said in Matthew a while ago in the Amplified, uh, between the fields. Now, once again, everyone who heard Jesus' parable would have understood what the path, what the wayside, what the road, uh, what that was from the natural right point of view. Because they understood that there was a place called common ground in their culture. And what that meant was is that uh, there was literally like narrow strips of land where anyone could farm. So in other words, you didn't have to own it, but you could farm there. And so all these people would gather, and they would farm in these areas. Now, these long strips of land, they weren't divided by a fence. They weren't divided by a rock wall like you and I are used to seeing around here. Instead, they were separated by these narrow walking paths, right? Like anyone could travel down. It was like... Uh, you know, uh, free right away, whatever, or anyone wanted to go. So people are constantly walking up and down these pathways in between these little slots of fields. Now, as you can expect, when people walk down paths year after year after year after year, generations after generations, after a while, man, that ground becomes hard as pavement, right? And so everyone who is listening to his teaching would have understood that any time a seed lands on those hard paths that it wouldn't have a chance uh, at all to produce anything because very quickly the birds would come and they would eat it. And how they know that? Because they have watched it all their lives. But watch this, but in his explanation to the disciples, remember they said, what in the world does that mean? He said, pull up a seat, let me tell you, right? Jesus gives them the spiritual truth behind his words. He says this, he says, the seed is the word of God. And when it is preached, it is sown into the soil of people's hearts. Okay, that's key. These soils are our hearts. This says, and in this instance, in other words, on the path, the person's heart is so hard to the things of God that the devil easily comes and snatches God's truth away before they have a chance to believe, thus keeping them from getting saved. All right, so with that in mind, have you ever tried to talk to someone about Jesus and afterwards said to yourself, like, man, they were like talking to a daggum brick wall. Like, have you ever been there? I'm like, I've, I've preached there, okay? <laughs> like, many times, like, holy smokes, God, right? Listen, and what he's saying is that this kind of person, uh, that that's the kind of person basically he's talking about here. Man, these people are hard, right? Like, like it, if I can stress, because it's important, it doesn't mean that they'll always be that way. But at that moment, he's describing what was happening on the inside of them. Their hearts are hard, right? You've been there before, I'm sure, and I know I have been there before, right? So, listen, the reality is, is if you and I are going to choose to actively share our faith, then you and I are going to meet people who uh, have chosen to close off their minds to the idea of God. Please hear what I'm about to say. For no other reason than that they don't want the gospel to be true. Because why? Because if it's true, they're going to be forced to make a decision. Y'all know that's right. Listen, they'll either have to willingly choose to reject Jesus, thus face the consequences of what follows that, right? Or they'll have to repent of their sins and follow him. There's a choice to be made. And so sometimes it's easier just to ignore it and say you don't believe it. 
But listen, on that note, what does the Bible tell us in Psalm 53.1? I want to read this because sometimes I think we quote this, but we don't understand the full meaning behind it. It says this. It says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. So that actually means that this person that's denying the existence of God, that they're doing so not because he or she is intellectually convinced that God doesn't exist. Rather, it's because they do not want him to exist. Right? That's why they are a fool. Right? This is no different than the Pharisees. We all know that the Pharisees refused to accept Jesus Christ as the Messiah for no other reason than they just didn't want him to be. They denied all the works, they denied all the teachings, and they just didn't want him to be it because they had something else in mind. Right? All right, let's turn our attention to the second type of grounds found in, found in basically this passage. It's the rocky ground. Luke 8, 13 says, But the one on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive. The word receive means they accept the word with joy. And these have no firm root, who believe for a while, who believe for a while. Can somebody say believe? Who believe for a while, and in time of temptation and persecution for the word's sake, what happens? They fall away. Listen, for years when I thought about this verse, I pictured something similar. Maybe it's because I'm a redneck from Alabama. I don't know. But I pictured like a, a gravel driveway, right? Like where the ground was just covered with rocks. And, and, but that's not the kind of ground that Jesus is talking about here. You see, all over Palestine, there are these areas that have these, uh, basically this thin layer of dirt that, that covers uh, basically shelves of limestone, okay, that kind of rock. Like, so it's just like this thin level of dirt. And so from the eye, when you look down, you think, oh, it looks great, right? And so what would happen, a farmer would come and he would cast his seed there, and there's some fell on that soil. Once again, it looked promising, but it had rocks just beneath the surface. And so what happened was is, is this, is, and I'll just say it this way. I, I think you don't have to be a farmer to understand that plants need roots, Right, and that roots need depth of soil to grow strong. Right, so but listen, since this rocky ground didn't offer uh, moisture, it didn't offer proper uh, nourishment, and it didn't you know offer proper uh, you know depth of some good soil. Basically, what happened was is this plant, like Jesus said, sprouted up quickly, but as soon as the heat of the day, as soon as the sun hit it, it was almost immediately scorched. Right, and it withered away. Now, there, once again, there's no doubt everyone sitting there would have understood what he was talking about. Right, because they've seen it all their lives. But what Jesus later explained to his disciples was altogether different. He told them this. He said that there's going to be people who hear the word of God, right? That's what they're sowing. Hear the word of God, and with great enthusiasm, they're going to believe it. In other words, they're going to make a commitment to follow him. But at a later time, they will fall away when they encounter difficulties on account of their faith. And in fact, in many ways, here's the way I would, uh, kind of if I was going to take a scripture to connect to this, it would be John 6, 66. It says this. It says, from that time, many of his disciples went back or went away and walked with him no more. They were in, but some, oh, now we're out, right? And so if I could just say this for a moment, and this is sobering, but we need to hear it sometimes. It's like, guys, I think we need to remember that Jesus never promised us that following him was going to be easy. Amen. Like, like he never said, hey, come, come, you know, come hang with me to be cotton candy and rainbows and sunshines and unicorns and popsicles and whatever. He didn't say it was going to be any of that. He, in fact, he promised us that, that trials and temptations would come. Like he said they're going to come, right? Trouble's going to happen. And he also told us this again and again. He said, hey, look, before you ever think about following me, you need to count the cost. He said it, right? 
All right, now let me say this before we move on, because there's something I want us to notice here. I don't know, maybe for the first, let's say, decade of my walk with God, I heard many, 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 many preachers uh, say that this group of people that Jesus is describing here, that those who fell away were never born again in the first place. Now, more than likely, you've heard that somewhere along the line. I got loads of books in my office. I read uh, a number of them in preparation for this message just to see what they would say. And I think every book that I grabbed said that. And here's the scary part. Watch this. That's not what Jesus said. Right? Listen, but what happens is, is, is so often... Uh, we as people make the mistake just because somebody sitting in the pulpit says it or somebody that wrote a book says it, we automatically assume they're right and we believe it. Watch this, but a number of years ago I noticed that as I was reading this passage, Jesus simply said this. He said, they believed. They believed. Watch this, which so happens to be in the Greek language, I looked it up myself to make sure I wasn't lying to you. Romans, Romans 10, 9 actually uses the same word here. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Yeah. See, the Greek word for believe there, we'll throw up on the board. I'm not going to say it because I'm Southern, right? <laughs> not even going to give it a go. Um, but listen, it's the same word in both of those passages, and it means this. To have faith in, to commit to, and to put trust in. Guys, I don't know about you, but, but that's the same thing I did when I gave my life to Jesus. I put my faith in him, I committed wholeheartedly to him, and I trusted him with everything. Right? Like, that's salvation, right? So, so listen, these people that, that Jesus is talking about here couldn't have been haphazard in their decision to follow, follow him as all these people uh, have suggested and continue to suggest. Like, that's not what's happening. And if, if I'll just say this, I'm a pretty practical fella. H how can one person fall away from something they've never been in? Right? See, the truth is, is that these people were born-again Christians, but due to the persecution they faced, they fell away because their faith wasn't strong. Okay? Like, how many people have we met over the years, okay? And I don't mean to step on anybody's toes or, or kick a sacred cow here. I'm just like, hey, this is Bible. Let's, let's acknowledge what Bible says. Let's not make it say something it's not saying, okay? But, but listen, how many times have we seen over the years somebody hop in with Jesus, make a commitment, persecutions come, difficult times come, and they bail? And it's easy to say, well, they were never born again. That's a cop-out. The Bible says that persecution comes. And it will cause people to fall away. Right? Listen. This is how the Amplified Bible actually puts this. And this is from Matthew's gospel. Same parable. Yet he has no substantial root in himself, but is only temporary. And when pressure or persecution comes because of the word, immediately he stumbles and falls away. What's this last part? Abandoning the one who is the source of salvation. That's what it means in the original language. All right, let's look at the third type of ground. Those who fell among the thorns. Mark 4, 18, 19 says this. It says, now these are the ones sown or fell among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word. And the cares of this world, the distractions of this age with its worldly pleasures, the deceitfulness of riches or deceitfulness of fame, it says, and the desires for other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. So listen, this third type of soul Jesus talked about here 
uh, right, like, like the seed was scattered among the thorns. Initially, once again, what it looks like is, man, that that was, that, that, that was good soil, right? Like, man, we nailed it there. But over time, what happened is, is because the, the weeds and the thorns were never dealt with, what happens is, is they grew up in the small plants that were trying to sprout. They were no longer capable, capable to receive the sunlight. Thus, what happens, they were choked out, right, to the point that they did not produce any fruit, Again, all these people would have understood that. But what Jesus later explained to his disciples was exactly what the thorns were. That's what the first group missed, but it's what the disciples received. He said, hey, guys, here's the thorns. It's the cares of this world, all the distractions of fleshly pleasure, and the deceitfulness of riches and fame, and so on, right? In other words, it's all those things. What are the thorns? It's all those things that, that represent the stuff that has the ability to crowd out Jesus in our lives. That's what he's talking about. So I want us to know something else here. When it comes to this group of people, once again, notice Jesus never mentioned their salvation like he did with the first group. He didn't talk about them falling away like he did with the second group. He simply said that they became unfruitful. Now, why am I saying this to you? Because for years, all I've heard is that the first three types of soil, well, they were never born again. The last group, yay, they got it. Well, that's not what Jesus said. Salvation has to do with the first one. The next one has to do with, once again, our steadfastness and our faithfulness to God. And the next one has to do really with the ability, do we love him more than we love this world? And so what happens is, is Jesus saying it's because these guys kind of had an occasional glance, one eye on God, but then they kept watching the things of the world, right? Like all these things that, that were grabbing their flesh. What happened is, is after a while, those things suffocated basically their love for God and all the full potential that they had in Jesus. What happened in the kingdom of God is it was choked out. They never lived up to their potential. Y'all see this? Let's remember what Jesus said in John 15, 8. He says this, says, My Father is honored or glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and show that you are my disciples. Guys, that's what we're called to do. If I can say it to you a different way, listen, we're not called to watch TV. We're not called to watch a new movie every night. We're not called to catch the next game. We're not called to go make money. We're not called to go all these things that we run after. I'm not saying that Jesus doesn't operate and use some of that stuff because he does but but we're not called to all of that we're called to bear fruit for the king right we need to get our eyes fixed in the right place amen all right let's look at the last piece of ground or type of ground that jesus talked about number four was the good soil watch how jesus wraps up his explanation here mark four twenty, he says but these are the ones sown on good ground those who hear the word accept it and bear fruit some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. Now, once again, naturally speaking, they all understood that this type of soil was the type of soil had the proper amount of moisture, proper amount of nourishment, proper amount of depth so the seeds' roots could go down. They understood that this soil was free of weeds and, and thorns, and all of that stuff, what it actually gave, was a seed of unhindered chance to grow and to produce the fruit that was expected of it. Are you with me today? So, but watch this, but later Jesus describes to all the disciples uh, what kind of person this is, what kind of heart this person would have. This kind of person, once again, that hears the word and accepts it. He receives it, not as, not as suggestion, but he hears it and receives it as truth, right? And what happens is, is, is they allow that word to go down deep inside of them and actually to transform them. 
right? That's why it's important that we actually know the Bible, right? Beyond Jesus loves you, okay? Listen, and what happens is, is because the Word of God has transformed them, they actually obey it under all circumstances, not just when it's convenient, Right? Like so many times people go, well, I, I will obey the word up to this point, but when that happens, whoo, I'm out. Right? And so what happens is, is, is what Jesus is saying, this kind of person actually allow the word of God to become a, uh, basically um, become a part of their very being. Like they're one with the word. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. It's what Jesus said. Right? And so Jesus said if we can get to that point, what happens is, is we'll become not just hearers of the word only, will be doers of the word as well, that we begin to naturally bear fruit that's expected of us. So once again, guys, I would say this, we realize or not, that should be one of our main goals as believers, that we bear fruit for the king. Right? But, but listen, how many times have we met people that seems like, man, that they've been here for 20 years? And I just say to all of us, where's the anointing? Where's the power of God? Where's the presence of God? Who's getting saved? Right? Like, What's Jesus doing through us? Is it just, well, I'm just happy I'm going to heaven, bless the Lord. No, 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 that, that's wrong. Like, God wants to do something through us, right? He wants us to bear fruit for him. All right, so listen, before we land this, I, I want to briefly point out something. You know, like I said, in all those books, and man, what I've heard preached all these years, it, it seems like the traditional view of the parable of the sower focuses solely on the topic of salvation. That's why they've made the... The top three, you know, whatever, soils there uh, about salvation. But once again, that's not right. But, but, but what, I, what I can't say that I disagree with, like I see how this has a piece of evangelistic, evangelistic approach, right? Like we cast the word, unbelievers have a chance to receive it or not to get saved. So that's definitely, there's a, a correct piece in that. But, but here's the thing that I think, if I had to say, here's what I think Jesus wants many of us to walk away with today, it's this, is that... Um, basically that these truths found in this parable still apply to every new piece of teaching that God will ever try to teach us. See, here's what I'm getting at, is there's not a single person in this room, okay, that knows it all. Like, there's more in Jesus, right? And so if, if I can maybe say that another way, just because you and I receive Christ, it doesn't mean we cease to be God's filled, because that's what the parable's about, Right? The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 13, not only are we God's building, but we're also His field. Like you can't get away from that. From the time now till you'll die, you'll be God's field. Right? And nor does it mean that uh, basically when we get born again, we give our lives to Jesus, that now uh, we cease to have God's word or God's seed scattered in our lives. Are y'all following me? See, uh, on the contrary, it's like this, that every time you and I actually open the Bible and read it, Okay, that every time we hear a sermon, every time we come to things like cultivate or a small group, every time that we have a conversation with our friend or our spouse about God, whatever the way that we begin to talk about the word of God, the sower himself begins to sow the word of God, the seed of God, the incorruptible seed into our lives, which means as soon as that seed like it's happening right now, if you're aware of it or not, is that we all have an opportunity to allow our hearts to be one of those four types of soil that we found in that scripture. Like today, you are choosing if the enemy's going to rob it, right? Persecution's going to take it, cares of the world are going to take it, or if it's going to actually land and dig in deep and bear fruit in your life. Like it's happening right now. So listen, it, I think if we're just being 
maybe willing to be honest with ourselves for a moment. Like, let's look back over our journey with Jesus. Like, has there not been many, many, many times where we've heard a new revelation from the Word of God? Like, we show, whoo, I didn't know that. Boom, the light bulb comes on, right? Or, or, or we're sitting there and we're reminded of something in the Bible that we haven't been doing. Right? But before we drive out of the parking lot, the devil's already come and snatched it out of our lives. Right? And we, and we leave unchanged. Like that, that's going to happen loads in America today. Why? Because as Americans, we have this American gospel thing and we think we got it all together. I'm smiling at you. All right, so watch this, though. Um, what happens when, when that takes place is it causes us to be hearers of the word and not doers of the word because we're not applying it, right? And so let, let, me, let me give you an example, and this isn't to put shame on anybody or make anybody feel bad, but, but, but if you're visiting with us today, you can be like, whoo, I got off that one, but it's okay. So, um, but just kind of prove a point so it kind of hits home with us. A few, a few weeks ago, I stood up here and I talked about uh, basically the biblical truths about prayer and fasting, okay? And, and, I, and I taught that Jesus simply said, he said, uh, you know, when you pray and when you fast. So it's not, a, it's not a if you want to kind of deal. It is he expects us as believers to actually fast, means not eat, and pray. Like it's part of the kingdom, right? How many people actually left this place that day and was like, hmm, maybe I should do that. But before you hit the parking lot, you start thinking about fried chicken. <laughs> right? You started thinking about whatever, cheeseburgers, pizza. Glory to God, it's about lunchtime, right? You started thinking about all that stuff, and well, that's about the last thought you had about missing a meal. Right? So what happened was, is it got snatched. Right? Or let's think about this. You know, we, you know one of the prayers we have around here is that we'd be a generous people. And part of being a generous people is that you actually tithe. Now, understand when I'm saying this, I'm not up here going, man, if you don't give us $100, we're going to go under. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not here from that approach. I'm just trying to show you how we don't apply the word of God to our lives, how the enemy snatches it. The bottom line is, is it's a kingdom principle. God told us to honor him with the first fruits of our crops. He said it, right? And so at least in my household, the first thing that goes out is, you know, we understand that all of it's God's money, but he said that the 10% goes. And then there's offering that rolls with it, right? Because I believe in that too. And so that's obedience in our world. That, that, is, that has never been questioned from the time I've been born again, 25 years. That's, yes, Jesus. I see it too easy. Now, there have been times I've said it'd be a whole lot easier if I didn't have to. Yes, but I never stopped. Okay? And so what happens is that people go, well, you know, with that extra whatever, I could do this and this and this and this. Well, at that point, what, what you're saying is, is you're your provision, not God. And so what happens is when you don't obey, you're snatching, once again, the truth that God wants to get in your life. Let me give you another one, okay? I, I, I love it. You can't run, so this is good. Um, <laughs> maybe you can. We didn't lock the doors. So um, anyways, but think about this. How many times you come to church and this word called forgiveness comes up? And you think about all those people that you hate their stinking guts. Somebody who did you wrong, offended you, hurt you, whatever. And you're like, man, I need to forgive that person. But before you hit the parking lot, you're like, Lord, you know what they did to me? Snatched. Right? Or even this. Let me go on a softer one here. How many times we open up the word of God and see who God says we are? 
You're my beloved. You're my son. You're my daughter. You're royalty, royal priesthood, holy nation. I see all the light of the world. I see all these incredible things that God says about us. But because of something in our past, something that somebody said about us, some lie that we bought into, man, we leave and we refuse to even believe it. Snatched. And so we wonder why we're not growing. Amen? All right, let me give you some questions to kind of run through the thing here. We'll let Jesus do the talking. But think about this. How many times have we allowed ourselves to step away from what we know to be true because we were worried about what people may think? Or if it's culturally acceptable or not? Like, that's a biggie now. Like, like there's this great argument going on between the truth and loads of lies in this world. And there's loads of Christians that are going, eh... And they're stepping away from the word because they want to be culturally acceptable. That is wrong. The Bible's clear. What sin is sin? It's not going to change because, because you know, whatever CNN and Fox says it's changed. Because some new group's risen up. It's still sin. Come on, preacher. All right. Listen, how many times have we allowed our hearts to become so distracted by the things of this world that we stop being fruitful in our walks with God? So much so that it seems like our love for God is being choked out of our lives. Uh, how many times have we allowed fear and worry, anxiety to paralyze us? How many times have we forgotten who we are called to be? How many times have we let the weeds grow in our garden? Probably more time than we can shake a stick at, right? All right, listen, I believe in many ways that our spiritual growth you haven't heard anything, hear this, please. Our spiritual growth depends upon us. Come on, please don't run away from me right now. It depends upon us. Now, understand that Jesus is the only one that can change us, but he needs our agreement. Okay? And, and so, listen, because I think at the end of the day, you and I are the ones who determine the condition of our soil and our heart. Okay? Listen, our past doesn't determine that. Our present doesn't determine that. Our family, our friends, the government... People around, they don't determine that, right? We decide and posture our hearts in a, in a teachable spot before the king. Like, it's up to us. Like, we determine if we'll listen to the lies of the enemy or not. We determine if the cares of the world become our cares or not. We determine if we pursue lies or if we continue to chase after the truth. No one else. It's us, right? And so, listen, with that in mind, I just, I just want to say this. If we can remember today, man, that, that the seed of God, the word of God, man, I love the Bible. Listen, um, it's perfect. Yeah. It's incorruptible, right? And, and so to understand that there is nothing wrong with the seed. Okay, so your growth or your lack thereof doesn't depend on the quality of this. Yeah. Okay, what it depends on is the quality of this in you. So if your heart's not right, then guess what? You're, you're just not going to grow. Amen? So Amen. All right, can you stand your feet, please? Listen, I want to close today by reading two scriptures, okay? And, and once again, these are to encourage you, uh, hopefully to encourage you, not beat you up, okay? The first one comes out of Jeremiah, if we can, let's look at it together. It says this, break up your fallow untilled ground. In other words, if your heart is hard, then break it up, right? And it says this, and do not sow among the thorns. In other words, man, that just... Like, if we can understand, like, man, I, I'm going to break up the hard soil, and I'm going to choose to have my heart right so fruit can come. And then it says this will happen. Look at this awesome promise. It says, and sow fields and plant vineyards that they may yield a fruitful harvest. That's what we're called to do, right? It says he also blesses them, that he would literally bless us. And I love this last part. 
and they multiply greatly. What does that last part mean? Watch this. When we, when we read originally that, that parable out of Matthew, and I said that, you know, they understood that, they understood that, they understood that, they understand that. What they probably didn't understand is when Jesus said, hey, look, there'll be a 30 and a 60 and a 100 fold. In other words, and once again, I, listen, I grew up on a farm, but I'm going to put this really just simple here, okay? That in their mind, they thought if I take one seed and I put that one seed in good soil, then one plant's going to pop up. Sounds logical. And Jesus is saying, you take that one seed and you put it in the ground, 30 plants are going to pop up. 60 plants are going to pop up. 100 plants are going to pop up. Well, that doesn't compute in the normal mind. But what Jesus is saying is this, is when you basically work with him, that he'll begin to multiply the truth and the word that you're putting in it, and he'll begin to produce fruit in all these different areas if you do it his way with good soil. Like, I don't know about you, but, but I like that kind of math. Like, I love it if I went to the bank and I put a dollar in and I got a hundred out. Okay? But last time I checked, I'd give them a dollar and they give me back a dollar. Thanks, guys. 99 point. They probably take some money, too. Yeah. Anyways, are you guys seeing the point? So Jesus wants to do some incredible things in our lives, but it's up to us if we, if we give him what he needs. If we give him the good soil for his word to produce the fruit that needs to happen. Amen? And so, listen, I just want to ask you really today, like, if you're not growing the way that you think you should, that you would maybe have the courage and the honesty to go, maybe this is why. Right? It's, it's not a matter necessarily of salvation, but to go, like, literally, like, um, man, am I, am I doing what I'm supposed to do? Amen? All right. So let me pray for you really quick, and then we'll, I'll give you some direction. Because there's no doubt that probably all of us can look at our lives and go, you know what? I, I have places where all four of those types of soil are in my heart currently. Is that true? Yeah. So, Jesus, we thank you today that you're gracious and that you're good and that you're kind and that you love us. And, Father, we thank you that you've given us your word not only to uh, train us but also to correct us and to help us come in alignment with what you're doing in our lives. And so, Lord, we ask, God, according to that scripture today in Jeremiah, God, wherever our hearts are hard, wherever it's crusty and dry, Lord, we simply ask that the rain of the Holy Spirit would come and begin to water that ground that's in our hearts. And Lord, our, our desire, what we're asking for today is that our hearts would be like moldable clay. God, that, that clay that you can uh, tweak and change and, and form into any image you desire. And Lord, we just ask today, God, if, if we keep getting sidetracked because of persecutions and what other people think, uh, Lord, we ask, God, that you would help us to be bold and be courageous and to be able to stand for truth. Help us be steadfast in our faith. And, Lord, for the kind of person that keeps running after all the things of this world, Lord, we just ask today that you would help us to fix our gaze upon you. God, that we would put our eyes on you. And, God, you would help us to run after you. Because, Lord, we want to be that last soil, God, in every area of our lives. God, where you can speak and where we would believe it, God, where fruit would come. God, we want to be people that are being continually transformed into the image of your Son. So, Lord, would you help us to have that kind of heart. God, a heart of purity, a heart of holiness, a 
heart of grace, heart of love. Uh, God, a heart of obedience, a heart of surrender. Lord, all those things that you want from us, Lord, we pray that you would help us have that kind of heart because that's who you called us to be. And Lord, we just simply ask today, God, that you would help us to be a people that bear fruit for your kingdom and bears fruit for your glory. God, will you do these things in us in Jesus' name. All right, listen, before we get out of here, I want to ask one thing. Um, You know, like I told you at the beginning, like sometimes I know the what and the why. Today I didn't really know the why, right? And uh, so we, we read that long testimony at the beginning. And, and the only part I want to uh, hook into today is this, is that just maybe that there's somebody in here that you've been praying for something for a long while now, and, and you're finding yourself wanting to lose heart. But you're finding yourself wanting to like go, man, is God even hearing, is he even hearing me? And, uh, and so let me just ask, man, is there anybody here, I don't, you know, once again, it's okay people look around. Does anybody that says, hey, there's something that I've been praying about for a while, and I still need Jesus to move in that area? Yeah, awesome. Okay, do yourself a favor. Can you go ahead and lift that other hand, please? It's amazing how that happens. I'm with you. I got some stuff, too. So let's just pray into that, please. Father, we thank you today, God, that you're a God who's faithful. God, you said in the book of Psalm that you'll perfect the things that concern us, that you'll bring them to completion, you'll bring them to an end. So, Lord, we're asking today, God, in the name of Jesus, that you would look upon our prayer requests one more time. And, Father, we thank you, God, that you said, God, that in that parable, the persistent widow, God, that you do hear us and that you do answer. But, Lord, we recognize that there's a timing to it. And so, Lord, we just simply go, hey, hear us again. God, if it's healing in our body, God, if it's healing in our marriage, God, if it's healing... Uh, God, in a relationship, God, whatever, it's healing in our finances, whatever, God, we need you to, to step into and to move in. Lord, we just simply invite you to do so again. And Lord, we recognize today, God, that uh, once again, like, like I said, there's timing. So Lord, if there's something about us that needs to change in the process, Lord, we ask that you would do it quickly. Help us realize what you're doing. God, if, if our trust in you needs to increase, if our faith needs to grow, Lord, if our humility needs to increase, Lord, whatever it is, God, we just simply ask that you would do it. But God, we lay it at your feet and we just ask you to move one more time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for encouragement in your walk with God and to receive updates on events happening at The Anchor. Have a great week and God bless.